Hey, it's, uh, it's so good to see everybody here. It really is. Um, you know, I, I especially um, this, this weekend, as I've thought a little bit about um, my friends who, you know, lost uh, their friends uh, in combat situations, um, how blessed we are to be able to be together um, and to be free, um, not just uh, politically free, but freed uh, from the wages of sin and death in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's good for us to gather and worship together. So bless you and thank you for being here. Uh, if you've been with us uh, for any length of time, you know that we've been, uh, we've been in the series on heaven. And it's been a long time. And we're exhausted. We don't want to talk about heaven anymore. And good news, this is the last week we're going to talk about heaven. If you're exhausted by it. Uh, but I, I, I just, I wanted to sort of sum up you know, a lot of the stuff that we've learned, because, man, heaven is so much different than uh, we might expect if we just sort of hear what the culture has to say, or if we've ever, you know, not really thought about it. And it's such a radically different vision in the scriptures. And so I, I really wanted to, uh, to, to, to get into that, and we've, we've learned a lot. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things that we've learned is that if you take the Bible seriously about the next life, the Bible really does seem to say that uh, you can actually, by the way that you live here, um, have a better experience of eternity than, pe- than other people. Now, I don't want you to hear the wrong thing. In order to get into heaven, the Bible's very clear about this, all you do is believe. You just trust Jesus, and, and the next life is yours. Um, it's a gift of, of eternal life from God, and that's, that's it. End of story. But the Bible does go on to say, and we've been spending a lot of time looking at it, it's crazy. If you live in various ways, the scriptures seem to say over and over again that there is a special experience of the afterlife reserved for people who live a particular type of, of way. And if you're a savvy American investor, then you know that the way to approach life then should be, I'd better do those things so that I can earn an awesome place in heaven. And isn't that kind of selfish? Doesn't that sound, I mean, okay, so let's just assume that you're not a, a church person. There's some people here who maybe not, you know, haven't spent a lot of time in church. Your basic idea of Jesus is that, you know, he doesn't judge people <laughs> and he's really nice. Uh, and maybe you've heard that he, he's sort of selfless and he encourages us to be giving and like, and, 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 and not focused on ourselves and not trying to get things for ourselves. Maybe you've heard that. If you've uh, been in the church for a while and, and you've spent time with the scriptures, you've heard things, Jesus saying stuff like, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You know, uh, the, the, son of, the, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. These things ring in our ears, and we have this impression, this impression that, that if Jesus is anything, he's self-giving, and he's selfless. But if what I've been saying out of the scriptures for the last two months, two and a half months, is true then there's a radical disconnect because it does seem to say, it does seem to be encouraging us, a lot of the stuff that Paul has to say and and Peter and some of the other New Testament authors, what they're saying seems to be kind of selfish. And there's this, this disconnect. So either we've been reading heaven wrong or Jesus is more into selfishness than we thought. I'd like um, that tension to sit with you. So today's question, uh, to, to sort of just sit in the back. Isn't trying to earn rewards in, se- in heaven kind of selfish? Shouldn't we just be good people because we love God? Isn't that the whole point? Let that uh, sit in the back of your mind as we um, 
journey through this text. This text is actually the text that inaugurated the series. So casting back two and a half months to when we began, uh, this was the text that got us going. And this is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest speech in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's like three chapters of scripture where he's just giving lots and lots of teaching about the kingdom of heaven and the kind of people who will be there. And he says this, don't collect treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust eat them and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust can't eat them, and where thieves can't break in and steal them. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. If we just look at the, what, I mean, he's very, very clear here. In that word, uh, collect treasures, you may be familiar with other translations say things like store up. It almost sounds like hoard, right? Like gather for yourself. Uh, and, and then there, that is, that, that, that word does mean that. It's like just, just piling together your riches. And, and not just piling together, but for yourselves. Jesus repeats this. For yourselves. Don't, don't hoard for yourselves on earth. Instead, hoard for yourselves in heaven. I mean, it's really, it just, does, it just seems like he's really talking about me, 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 me. Which is very strange for Jesus. And moreover, he, he kind of appeals to, to our, our self-interest here. Look at this, where moth and rust eat them and where thieves break in and steal. He's like, any of, any of you, especially in the ancient world, you all know that the stuff you get, wow, bad things happen to it all the time. Think about uh, you know, the technology that people have developed and, and spend money on right now to make sure that your investments, are the things that you purchase, you know, last the whole point is, is lasting, right? And, and, and over time, more and more value. Whereas the, the problem with the world is things break down and they, and they crack and they crumble and they get crushed. And we're all on this, this journey here where we're trying to make our bodies last as long as possible and be able to do the things that we want to do as long as possible. We are, are trying to find places to invest our money and our treasures, things that will last for a really long time. You know, now, like, like, I think the, the Vatican, they, uh, because the Sistine Chapel is so beautiful, they spent like years and millions of dollars restoring it to the glory that it had when Michelangelo, uh, painted it. Because the fact of the matter is, even light, even darkness can damage and destroy the things that we hoard and collect. I think, um, we have the cool picture here. Yeah. Uh, in 1817, uh, some British uh, archaeologists in Egypt uncovered a toe, an ancient toe. And uh, well, this in the 19th century, they didn't have a lot to get excited about, so this was like front page news. Uh, and so they they found this really really large toe, uh, you know, as big as me, and and they found next to it a. Um, uh, an inscription saying that this this toe belonged to it was a statue of Ramses the second. Ramses the second. He he was a king. We actually have pretty good records from the ancient world, especially Egypt. So we know that he was uh, pharaoh of Egypt right around 1300 BC. So about 3300 years ago, he was the uh, top dog in Egypt. They found this toe. And they brought it back to England so that, you know, people could look at it and be like, wow, that's an old toe. And, uh, and one of the people who, who saw the old toe was uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley, a romantic poet. 
1818, a year after uh, he saw this toe, he wrote uh, my favorite um, of the romantic poems, uh, Ozymandias. Ozymandias was the Greek name of Ramses II. Um, I'd like to read you this poem. I met a traveler from an antique land. You can see the traveler right there. He's like, on the, he's like looking. Ooh. Who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. That Rams is very upset. He's angry. You can see it in the painting there. Tell that the sculptor, the person who made that statue, well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, so you can see where the, the, the feet are, and, and, and the traveler is, is telling uh, Shelley that on the other side there's a pedestal and it says something. It says, on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, Ramses II, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. And round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Thirty-three hundred years ago, Ramses II had this monstrous statue, and the monstrous statue said, "I am the greatest. I run the world. All who see what I have done tremble because of my glory." And thirty-one hundred years later, all that's left is a toe. Jesus is talking to people who are very familiar with the idea that things don't last. And Jesus says to them, he appeals to uh, something that's natural in humanity. It's something natural to us. We want to last. We want to have legacy. We're always trying to preserve and extend. We're always trying to create and gather and collect. And we all want something that will last longer than we last. We, you know, John McCain, he's there in his deathbed. He's still working on his legacy. And guess what? In two generations, no one will know his name. And we're all of us desperate for eternity, desperate for immortality. And Jesus plays on that. He plays on that desire. And he says, instead of hoarding treasures here for yourselves, hoard treasures there. This first thing in your note sheets. Uh, Jesus appeals to the self-interest of fragile people. He's starting out knowing where we are. Uh, if you're looking for people who are just, you know, not self-interested and selfless, Wrong church, most of us here are normal. Uh, you can probably find some place with some really, I don't know, fake people, angels, somewhere else. But for most of us are actually self-interested. And Jesus begins assuming that, assuming that about people. Okay. Now we spent all this time talking about heaven, talking especially about rewards, right? And he's saying, if you do these things, if you, then I've got these special rewards set aside for you. I want you to see, I want you to see Jesus, Jesus he's, he's clever. He's clever here. And in order to understand what he's up to, I want us to review, just to look again at, at the stuff that, that Jesus has promised us. So I think I have the, um, the, the crowns here, right? Yeah, the crowns of heaven. These aren't probably literally crowns, although maybe they are. But whatever they are, they, sig- they signify that people have done certain things that have elevated them and given them glory in the kingdom of God for eternity. And let's look at a few of them. 
We start out with the martyr's crown. This is the, the, there's going to be people in heaven who are known for having suffered and endured faithful for God in the middle of, of tough times. Some even to death. And there are people today in the world, especially in totalitarian regimes, who worship Jesus and it's a threat for them and they're in danger because of it. And they are guaranteed the martyr's crown. Next, the victor's crown. This is the crown uh, for, set aside for anyone who's been given a mission by God, to quote Blues Brothers. That God has given them something that they've been called to do, something that they are aimed at. And, and, and if they achieve it, if they go for it, then, then they receive this crown. Even communities of faith can have a mission. Our mission is Bible, grace, and family, spreading that in South Orange County in a post and even hostile anti-Christian era. And if we, com- if we succeed, if we, if we endure and we, and we do it and we, we fulfill the calling, then there's a special thing for all eternity. We will be known as victors, victorious. The next, the Jesus way crown. There are people who have been called to live right now, all of us, Jesus way, even though we don't have to. Jesus isn't putting a gun to your head. Certainly the culture at large isn't putting a gun to your head. If you're in a strict household, maybe your parents are putting a gun to your head, but eventually you're going to graduate and do what you want. So nobody's putting a gun to your head, and yet there are people who will live as if Jesus' way is the way. Uh, if you just want to know what that way looks like, just go to Matthew 5-7 through 7 in your pew Bibles. Uh, those three chapters, I mean, he just tells you what it's like to live his way. And if you do that, something is special. You will have this for all of eternity. You will be glorified. You will have the Jesus way crown. Next, the disciplers crown. Uh, sometimes called the joyous crown. This is for anyone who spends their time and their energy and their life gathering new people, bringing them into faith, and then carrying them along. So you start out as like a little, little baby Christian and things are exciting and someone comes along and, and takes you to the next step and shows you, no, this is what Christian life looks like and, and, and walks with you and, and cares for you as, you as you come along until you grow up and then that person should, should go back and find more new people and bring them in and help them grow up in the faith. And if you do that, if you spend a life doing that, you, for all of eternity, you will be glorified all of eternity with this crown. Last but not least, the shepherd's crown. This is the crown that's reserved, uh, the, the glory that's reserved for those who take a special interest in caring for and praying for the needs of the community. Uh, you have people who are in, in, in tough situations and someone comes along as a shepherd and, and carries them through, helps them walk through hard times in their lives. You have people who are prayer warriors who are interceding on behalf of those who are, are on the outs and are suffering. People who pray for protection for the church because the enemy is always attacking, always trying to get us off the rails. And, and, and there need to be people who are out there protecting and, and caring for the flock. And for those who, who take this on, the mature Christians who do this, this is what you are promised. A short aside, that was last week. And uh, there was actually some, some people who, I guess, were responding, which is great, uh, to the message. And, and I actually had a conversation uh, with uh, Gary Coleman. Gary, can you raise your hand? Raise your hand so they know who you are. That's Gary. Uh, he, Gary is a, was a longtime uh, chaplain for Orange County Sheriff, and he's like, you know, I know that you're trying to care for people in hospitals and stuff, but you're doing a really bad job. I was like, well, yeah, no, that's true. You're right. I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm 37. I've never had anything hard in my life, so I just kind of sit there and listen. And I know that I'm not doing very well. And he's like, well, I think maybe what you need is someone to come alongside you to help out. And I was like, whoa, 
would you do that? He's like, well, maybe, if you're lucky. You've got to pray about it, though. I was like, all right, I'll think about it. And then I started thinking about more, and it was like, it was like not only do we need people who are willing to, to, be, uh, to do care in crisis-type situations, and, but we also need to, to really up our prayer game. I'm going to confess to you, I'm not a super prayer warrior. I do it, but I'm not, like, great at it. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that prayer works. I, I, I confess that. That's tough for me. And yet, I know that there's people here who are, like, just amazing at prayer. You just bathe life in prayer. And, I, and it's, it's scary to me that that, 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 that that gift is being not utilized right now. Like you're, you're out there on your own, by yourself, just kind of praying. And what I, I just, I've had a conviction um, that we have got to, to get a network of carers and prayers together. And so um, if that shepherd's crown is of interest to you and you are interested in being someone who cares and prays, a care and prayer network, please let me know. Um, and Gary's, you know, stepped up and, and he's, he's interested. If there are others of you, I would love to talk to you because we have got to bathe this place in prayer. Now. Wait, go back. It's your, don't cheat. Don't cheat. Oh, okay. You, no one read that, right? Okay, good. Okay. What do all of these have in common, Right? What is it that, 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 that if, if you just look at all of the behaviors and actions that are required of people who, who achieve these, these glories in heaven, if there's one thing that unites them all, it's that in order to do any of these things, your entire focus in life as you're doing them can't be on yourself. In fact, not only can it not be on you, it actually has to be on God and other people. If you're going to endure faithfully, you have to be focused on God. If you're going to bring people along, you have to care for them. If you're going to be a carer and a prayer, you have to be caring and praying for somebody else. If you're going to be, what? If you're going to do a mission, that mission's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to serve myself really hard this week. No, it's going to be something God sets before you. And surprise, most of God's missions involve regeneration and salvation and, 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 and hope and, and liberation for others. The next thing in your note sheets. The crowns of heaven are awarded for actions of service and faithfulness to God and others. And notice that that is the opposite of selfishness. But wait. Some of you are savvy like me. You're like, I got the loophole. I don't really have to care about the people. I just have to pretend like I do and do the stuff long enough to get the rewards. So I'm secretly all about myself the whole time. And yet I'm like super Christian on the outside doing all these Christian things. But secretly I'm just, I'm just gathering for myself. Like I'm going to win heaven. Heaven's gonna, I'm going to get the best Lamborghini in heaven. Other people's Lamborghinis are going to be not as good as mine because I'm doing this stuff. I think Jesus understands us better than we understand ourselves. Do we, uh, do we have the back to the text? Or, yeah. Jesus ends with this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Do you remember the first time that your heart was truly broken? 
I do. Um, it was 1999. I was a, a senior in high school. And probably for, at that point, probably six years of my life had been basically poured into um, another. And, I mean, yeah, well, so six years of my life, all about this, and then, and then this happens. Yes, really. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about, like, a girlfriend before Aaron. No. <laughs> there were no girls before Aaron. I was going, like, 27 years, like, boop, 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 boop. there she is, like, all right, I'm done. That's how it was. Come on. No, man, it was the Phantom Menace, the most traumatic experience of my young life. And if you're not familiar with this, you're so lucky. Um, this is the uh, reboot or the next Star Wars or whatever started in 1999. Um, I, I just need to, you have to understand, like I'm not kidding, this was a heartbreaking moment for me. Um, I, <laughs> at the time, as a senior in, in high school, I, was, uh, I, I did movie reviews, um, high school re- movie reviews for the Orange County Register. And so I was forced in public uh, to write down what I thought about this film. Now you might think that that's not that big a deal, but... You uh, weren't there with me and my buddy Ryan in 7th and 8th grade. We'd have sleepovers at each other's houses every weekend. And we would watch like the original trilogy start to finish. I joined the, uh, st- <laughs> the, s- the Star Wars Insider Fan Club. <laughs> Look, it's before it was cool to be a nerd. Right? It was tough in the 90s. You had to hide. Um, I read all of the books. There was a monstrous canon of Star Wars books. Uh, my family and I, we traveled down to San Diego to go to the only all Star Wars-only memorabilia shop in the United States of America called Star Force Collectibles. There, I spent my hard-earned money on a set of four pristine Burger King Empire Strikes Back glasses that are in my parents' cupboard to this day. And I, they're, uh, that's amazing. It's, uh, it's fine. Um, basically, for six years of my life, I poured all of my time and my energy and my resources into Star Wars. And I, I mean, everything. And it's like, Star Wars, if you look back, I mean, it's not that great. It's okay. I mean, I love it still, but like, honestly, part of that love, I mean, where did it come from? It come from, it came from being a kid and me and my buddy Jeff playing like with stormtroopers, you know, stormtrooper action figures, you know? It came from years and years of like pouring money, time, resources, energy, all of the stuff that I, it was investing. I was invested emotionally, physically, financially, psychologically. I was invested in this. I just kept giving to it. And so just take that off the screen. Thank you. So when Jar Jar showed up, it was like getting kicked hard. I, I was in denial, so I actually gave, out of A, B, C, and D, I gave the movie a B, even though it was clearly an F minus. Because I couldn't believe it. I'd been betrayed. 
It's interesting, though, you think about anything um, that is in your life, anything, doesn't matter what it is. As soon as you start deploying your time and your energy and your resources, your attitude towards that thing begins to change. Doesn't matter what it is, it could be people, it could be stuff, it could be anything, but whatever you deploy your time, energy, and resources towards, whatever, wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows. I think that's the next thing in the note sheets. Whatever we invest our time, energy, and resource into is what we will love. That's what you're going to love. You, you, we think, we think, because we live in um, a crazy, insane, post-Christian culture, we think that love sort of happens. We think that what we love, we're like walking along, and then boom, we start loving something. Wrong. That's not how love works. Love actually works by us beginning to, it's like a, there's an interplay, there's a back and forth where we start to give to something or somebody, and that something or somebody starts to give back, and a cycle is created. And over time, that cycle expands, and it captures our hearts in, in a way that we can't even really, we can't fathom, we can't understand it, it but it's true. Did you know that the, uh, the psychologists have a thing called, what is it, it's a, relationship bias or choice bias or something like that. I can't remember what it is. But what they found is that, uh, so, you, you know, you're, you're, like, you're deciding what you want to eat, right? And you decide, you choose, oh, let's go to, you know, I don't know, In-N-Out. As soon as you make the choice to go to In-N-Out, you are more likely to like In-N-Out, regardless of how it tastes. They've done blind trials where they found, uh, they, they have people, you know, choosing between two, you know, bottles of wine or whatever, and a person takes a drink from one, and, and because that was what they chose, they, they say, oh, that one's better, even though they're the same. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. Psychology caught up with Jesus. Way to go, psychology. Keep at it, friends. You're getting there. And what does Jesus tell us to invest in? He says, here, here, here. Here's what I want you to start doing. You want to have the Lambo in heaven? Fine. I want you to start investing in other people. I want you to start putting your time, your energy, and resources into me. I want you to start putting your time and your energy and your resources into bringing people along, into emptying yourself and spending all of your time on them. All, this, this is your free time, not what you have to do because someone's paying you. This is what you do because I want you to have your personal investment in it. And what Jesus understands is that if you're going after these things, your heart is going to change. It's going to follow. The last thing on the note sheets is seeking heavenly treasure turns self-seekers into God-seekers. It's a clever thing, the, the, the God's economy, how it works. He says, I'm going to set before you something so good that it'll appeal to every single human heart, and that is an eternity of glory. And if you really go after it, and if you really seek it, what you're going to find is that your self-seeking heart gets transformed over time into a me-seeking heart. It's sort of a little bait-and-switch on the divine level, where you come in saying, God, I want great things for me, and he says, oh, I'll give you great things for you. And you'll find out that what really is great for you is to love me first. And to love others second. So, 
I think this uh, kind of puts us in a place where I think l- probably everybody here um, is, is somewhere on this continuum, right? Where I think that, I think that the call of seeking heavenly treasure uh, can be heard by every single person here, whether you're someone who's, you know, churched out of your minds or, you know, you don't know anything about church whatsoever. Wherever you are on that spectrum, the very idea that seeking heavenly treasures can change you makes it now a, a, a moment where you have to make a choice. Uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like um, investing. Sort of, we, we use that word, investing. Um, people will ask, how's your portfolio? I've never had a portfolio. Uh, I don't know what that means other than it sounds to me. Well, Scott, Scott's here. Scott, Scott's a financial advisor. Um, Scott wrote a book, Don't Play Chicken with Your Nest Egg, available on Amazon.com. Scott, a Forbes magazine quoted professional. Financial, it's Forbes magazine, right? Don't, don't be shy. While you're on Amazon right now, on your phones, because no one's listening, I get it. Don't play chicken with your nest egg. While you're there, pick up Labor of God by Thomas Andrew Bennett. Awesome. And uh, I think John Mitchell's got like three books there too. So pick them all up. One stop shopping. Prime, prime, they're going to get to you fast. Uh, Scott, um, his job is to give investment advice to say, okay, so here you are. You're, you're, you're trying to put your resources in a place where they're going to grow and be of value. Well, what does your portfolio look like? What does your heavenly portfolio look like right now? Well, there are some of you here who aren't quite sure about Jesus. You're not quite sure about church. You are uninvested. If you're honest with yourself, you're like, well, look, I'll be honest. Just being here means you have a little bit of investment. Kind of a lot in today's culture. So thank you for coming. But, but that's just like a very small piece of your investment. And, and what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you to think about putting a little more in. I want you to start putting just a little more in, not just show up on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but maybe take a next step. Maybe, um, we, you know, we have our, our Blue Shirt Connect team. They're awesome. Uh, maybe you'd be willing to, to help out with that. It's like very small commitment, once every three months, something like that, or one month out of three, something like that. Uh, maybe we have events. We have our dodgeball and dog, hot dog thing next week. Maybe you'd like to help out with, you know, just, just a little bit of here. Just, just dip your toe in the pool, put in a little bit of time, and just see, just see, it, because if Jesus is right, then what's going to happen is you're going to dip your toe in, and you're going to be like, the water feels great, and you're going to want to put more of your toe in, and your whole body, and pretty soon you're going to be swimming and playing and, and, and splashing and having a wonderful time because you're finally doing the very thing you were created for. And that is loving God and his people. Some of you are, what did I said, the nest, single basket. Single basket. Ah, there it is. You're like me. I have one investment. It's in cryptocurrency. So I'm going to retire on that sucker. You're like all in. You look at the you look at the uh, the crowns and you're like, you know what? I don't do any of that except for I don't know evangelism. You're like, I'm an evangelist and that's it. I don't waste time with all the other stuff. You know what? I I wonder if because here's your thing. You're like, I, I've been in church. I know what my gifts are. I know what I'm for. I know what I should be doing. Um, I know what I like. And, and so you have this this mentality of like, this is who I am and nothing else. I wonder if maybe it might not be time to branch out a little bit, try something new, see if there are other opportunities, other things that you might, maybe even, I know this sounds crazy, take a step of faith into something that's uncomfortable for you. 
you may have to depend on God instead of yourself. You may find that the investment that you make captures your heart in a way that you could never have seen beforehand. You're like, oh, I don't know about this whole praying network thing. I, don't I feel uncomfortable praying. Dude, try it out. It's a little uncomfortable at first, but you get used to it. After a while, it becomes like breathing. Last but not least, uh, the over-diversified. Some of us have our fingers in everything, and we are committed to nothing. Always there, never deep. Just kind of flitting about, showing up, maybe getting some credit for that, but never really going all in on anything. If that's the sort of mentality that you have, then I, I, I suggest that you probably um, won't really ever achieve those crowns. Imagine, you know, God gives you a mission. And you're like, oh, I'll do, spend some time on that. But then I'm going to move on to something more, you know, something else. And so you flit about. You're never going to have the victor's crown for completing your mission because you won't finish it. You say, oh, I'm going to do a little bit of discipleship, but as soon as things get difficult and the person turns out to be a sinner, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Okay, well, you're probably never going to achieve what it looks like to be someone who brings someone along in Christ if you can't deal with, you know, people. If your fingers are everywhere, but you're all in nowhere, it might be time to reevaluate and think, whoa, where could God use me? What would it be like for me to really, really commit? For some of you, that might even be, uh, I know that stresses people out here, it might even be church membership. Um, We'll do a membership class in uh, the fall. And uh, it's not really that crazy here. We don't, like, I'm not going to, like, ask for your finances. <laughs> There's nothing like that. All it means is, like, you believe in Jesus and you want to be a part of our church. That's it. There's no, like, but, but it, it does signify commitment. It signifies, I want to get in. I want to be a part. And maybe that's something um, where you, you can really get into something. All right. That's heaven. Heaven is your opportunity to start seeking yourself and end up seeking and being in love with God. It's to start out doing things for you and to discover and to find that what you were really created for was to do things for him. And what's really cool is, yeah, if you do it and you live it and you experience it, you get the Lambo too. Let's pray. Gracious God, I ask um, for a desire for our church to be people who um, seek the crowns of heaven, who seek treasures in heaven. I pray that we'll be people who encourage each other to go after what you have for us, that we'll do it as a community, we'll do it in love, and that as we do, we'll be transformed into the people you've called us to become. I pray, God, that our desire for for legacy, our desire for eternity, our desire um, to, to do well would be transformed into a love for you and for your people that will never end. Bless every hearer here, God. Give every person a desire to be a little closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.